Right, ladies and gentlemen, I've got uh, my next guest in front of me, uh, Gary McQueen. Uh, thank you very much for coming on to the podcast and uh, give, giving up some of your time. I know you're a very, very busy man uh, these days, Gary. So, uh, yeah, let, let's, yeah let, let's, let's get right into it. Um, I know last week you, were, you had a really busy week, so if you wouldn't mind sharing what was, what was going on there. Yeah, so um, as COVID come about, I managed to secure an Epic Mega Grant um, from Epic Games uh, for a, a digital fashion show that, that I had planned anyway. Uh, it's just due to um, the situation with COVID, I think going digital, you know, and that being advanced so much, uh, and Epic Games also wanting to uh, branch out into different industries and fashion, the fashion industry being one of it. Fashion industry and also the, the knowledge of that digital space I was a perfect candidate. So, yeah, I've been working on that since COVID started for six months or so. Well, over six months. And I've just launched the digital show uh, a couple of days ago. Yeah. So, yeah, I've been really busy during COVID. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. We were we, we were just talking off air, uh, Gary, um, about, you know, the last year, uh, COVID-19. And um, as you quite, po- you know, quite rightly pointed out, there is some great opportunities. And, what I love about, I mean, part part of my mission with the podcast is just is to speak to go getters. They are particular, predominantly entrepreneurs. I've been interviewing a lot of artists uh, recently because obviously I'm a founder of a big um, art brand called Woodbury House, which is based in Soho. So it only made sense for me to interview artists. I've actually interviewed people in fashion, chefs, footballers, boxers, uh, music artists, you name it, and. Um, one thing I love always about entrepreneurs is if you really think about it, and I've seen this time and time again on, on social media, that going into the into business on your own is actually in some ways, only in some ways, a little bit stupid because the odds are, are, are stacked against you. But entrepreneurs always seem to find the way if they persevere, hard work, dedication, and they're optimists with a great plan, find a way yeah, to like push through that barrier. Part of it, you know what I mean? Exactly. When, and when and creative, it's, it's finding solutions. You know what I mean, you're always a problem solver. Yeah. You know, with, with your artwork, finding, you know, how to adapt things. You know, with me, it's adapting, you know, knowing how to adapt, in this case, 3D technology, you know, yeah. with artwork and, and fashion. So, yeah, I, I really get that. And um, yeah, what I was going to get to is, um, you know, a lot of people that you speak to, mainstream media, even maybe old, the older generation who have uh, cut from a slightly different cloth, um, they might be a little bit pessimistic towards the whole corona thing. Not just the virus itself, but what it's done, you know, the, 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 the ripple effect, you know, into different sectors and different businesses. But I, it's quite a breath of, breath of fresh air when I speak to someone where they say, you know, actually there's opportunity. So, your take on it, uh, Gary, you know, what are the opportunities that have come off the back end of lockdown and also coronavirus? Well, it's, it's that, um, not me, but everybody's been pushed into this kind of um, having to sort of communicate over Zoom, you know, doing everything digitally. Uh, that old bricks and mortar sort of idea is, you know, is kind of falling apart a bit, you know. So, mm. you know, there's there's really opened up this kind of market for online interaction, um, digital platforms, um, you know, 
going in like the shopping experience in terms of the fashion industry, people couldn't get that, you know, they couldn't go into the store. And what I've managed to do with my show is also include a virtual showroom, you know, just to keep that kind of experience alive virtually. You can go in and, you know, it's all part of an experience when you go shopping, you know, it's that world and that brand, that world of that brand that you step into, which makes that experience special, you know? Yeah. And I've managed to translate that with my virtual showroom as well. Which is yeah. My brand. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's one aspect of that. But yeah, you know, I think it's really like the younger generation that are really going to catch on to this kind of thing that, you know, my kids, like my son plays Fortnite and all that online gaming and um, understand the, the concepts of skins, you know, which is, which are essentially outfits that you buy for your avatars for the game. Yeah. And I think they're really the generation that's really going to sort of embrace it going forward as this goes into like more mainstream, the concepts of wearing like digital clothes, which is what I've essentially produced for my show, you know. Yeah. And that would also sort of lead into avatars and self-identifying and all that stuff, you know, which is what they do at the moment in gaming. Yeah. That would become more mainstream eventually for virtual events and stuff. Yeah. So, Gary, like, um, Obviously, you're a businessman and also an entrepreneur, but how would you identify yourself if you were to go further than that? Would you say you're, let's say, a fashion designer, or would you say you're an artist? How would you title yourself? Well, I always call myself an artist. I mean, I come from quite a diverse background of uh, knowledge from different disciplines within the design industry. Um, I've always been artistic from a young age. You know, I was introduced uh, by my uncle to film and uh, fashion, I guess, as well, when he used to babysit and draw you know, fashion pieces. We used to watch the horror films together and all that stuff, which ignited my imagination from a young age. Um, so I used to draw as well and create my own characters. Um, but I studied uh, graphic design, um, and I never really saw myself as a graphic designer, always as a storyteller. And I was always very artistic and would create my own worlds in some way. But, you know, just that straight cut, Graphic design wasn't really for me. Yeah, but I, but I did start in publishing. You know, as a junior, where I learned a lot of the the software and technical aspects involved in creating high quality artwork. You know, resolution and all that stuff, print quality. Um, so I did that for three years when I uh, graduated from uh, my graphic design course, and when that went to liquidation, I found myself out of work, and that's when my uncle stepped in. And he had this position that opened on Alex Brown in the Queen, uh, the menswear line. And I didn't know anything about fashion, you know. But what I am good at and what you touched on earlier is that sort of improvisation and, you know, being able to adapt situations as an artist, you know, and problem solving. I'm really good at that sort of thing. So I knew how to translate my artistic skills quite quickly onto the pattern pieces of the garments, you know. Yeah. And how that sort of translates. And then it was just a matter of really sort of learning all those, um, just like the, the, the language within the fashion industry, you know, how things can be adapted in different ways and produced in different ways, like that could be printed or it could be woven, like an artwork could be woven into the fabric or it could be like embroidered, do you know what I mean? So, yeah, I learned quite quickly, you know, and within a year I had quite a good knowledge about what I was doing. 
and I stayed at Alexander McQueen for seven years. So that's like 14 different shows I worked on. And then um, when when he passed away, you know, I stayed for the further two years after he passed away and then decided to leave and start my own brand. And as I was doing that, um, I actually got a job as a uh, fitting photographer. So I was both between Italy and Berlin, traveling constantly there, where I was taking like studio uh, photography pictures of all the looks during the fitting. So you have three fittings leading up to the show, which start usually on like the most basic silhouette, just cut out of, you know, rough yeah. cloth to get like an idea of the shape. And then you get like a sample back, that's another fitting. And then you have like the final pieces, which is the first fitting. And, you know, I'm self-taught in a lot of things. So I had to YouTube, had to use studio lighting, you know, and there's lots of things involved in that as well. You know, there's like the temperature of the light can affect the color of the clothes, you know, uh, it could be anything, you know, but, you know, I've, I've got quite a vast um, knowledge of different skills that apply, that I've brought forward now, you know, to my own brand that I can apply in different ways. You know, I'm pretty much, a one-man band. Only recently, when I got the Zephyr grant, <clears throat> I could employ like an assistant and yeah. uh, pack cutters to help me create the clothes, the patterns on the clothes. Um, you know, and some other some other companies that I've been working with as well, just together like uh, the Dutch company called Myota Media as well, who actually helped me bring it all into Unreal Engine. You know, so there's this whole pipeline, and I'm just currently work, like writing a paper and breaking it all down because you take. All this knowledge that I've got, you know, all this sort of uh, technological knowledge that, you know, a lot of fashion designers don't have and people in that digital space don't understand the fashion side of it either and how these two come together, you know, I've, I've always I've kind of took for granted. When we start putting it down on paper, you know, it's quite a complex process. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's my USB. <laughs> yeah. Well, um so you, you said a few things there, but the thing that stood out for me, which really resonated with me, is storytelling. And I think that's so important because I've told this story so many times that I got into the art market by chance, and it was this artist behind me, Richard Hamilton. Um, if you were just to look at it, it's a black shadow on on a canvas. And, and to someone that is brand new to it, that's all it is. But when you learn about the story, the history, the narrative, and what he stood for, it starts to shape your taste buds. And I think with fashion and art, uh, with what you're doing, the crossover, you know, the cross-pollination, it's exactly the yeah. same. And I think telling a narrative, a story, will help sell your products. But I think it goes yeah. beyond that. I think if you're going to... Yeah. Well, do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, I, I think if you... Well. Yeah, yeah, look, I don't know your plans, Gary, but if you were to raise money from a, an angel, a VC, or some kind of investor into your company. I mean, yeah, they're going to look at your products, and they're obviously going to look at you as a, as a profile, but they're going to want to see a narrative, some kind of story, and that's what people buy into at the end of the day. You know, sometimes the product could be quite average, I'm not saying yours is, but in some, some companies, but you know, if the narrative is right, and it's a compelling, exciting, you know, powerful story, that's what people buy into, right? Yeah, I mean, everything I do is based on storytelling, you know. you know, When I started my brand, it was scarf. But that that particular scarf artwork, say, was always built on, you know, this deep storytelling where I'd, I'd grab different references and create new worlds to step into, you know. And that, that's the thing that makes me excited is creating these worlds 
that's been in this before, you know? Yeah. Uh, going off the basis of that kind of childhood thing that I thought was adapted to me, love of storytelling, you know, drawing my own little characters and stuff, uh, creating my own little worlds and accents, and that kind of starts to a kind of more sophisticated level of photo shoot. And most recently, like a short film that I created was the show, you know? Yeah. So that, that, that part <clears throat> is what excites me, and that's part of the selling point, you know, of, of a product as well. Yeah. Because having that deep, that, that deep storytelling that people can step into that world, you know? And for me, it's not always one thing as well. These can split off, you know? But one story could be like a photo shoot, like a star, and it could be like a sculpture or a piece of art. Piece of art is like it's collective, you know. Yeah. Around the story, it kind of branches off into different things. So um, I really like to create these nice little packages. Yeah. <laughs> like around the yeah. Just the authenticity, I think. Yeah. We um we're following a very similar path to you because when we first started as a brand 2014, we were without even knowing it a a, a an art distribution company. So we had external sales agents making the sales and we were providing the product from the Richard Hamilton IP or, or, or archive. Now we do it all in-house and we're essentially art dealers for the Hamilton IP. But as time has gone on, we've now set up a online e-commerce store. What we want to do is, um, you know, offer lower end uh, ticket items uh, from, you know, uh, you know, merchandise collectibles to limited editions. But um, unique and special collaboration. So we're always going to stay in this street art sector to affiliates to Hambleton, but we want to do unique projects where we come together with uh, an affiliate of Hambleton's and do, I know, have the canvases, yes, for the advisory team where, where people build their portfolios, but from the lower end, you know, have really, really cool, a run of 25 of, of these unique garments or whatever and um, hopefully have a drop culture where you drop it and within within minutes it's sold out. And that's what we want to get to. And I feel like the, the journey with you is, you know, quite quite similar. Parallels there. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's so, I mean, especially with this show, you know, that I've just created, there's so many elements of it. So many strings to that bow involved. You know, you've got, you've got digital, digital and then the possibility of physical things on the back of that but the digital side of it just branches off in so many different ways as well you know yeah that you know the set itself built in unreal engine i did a site visit to the outer net uh last week which is a new building there there's a uh, building outside of Tottenham Court station and the whole building is made up of tv screens you know uh interactive tv screens we're talking like four stories high okay and and they they use uh, Unreal Engine environments within that space, so it wraps around the building uh, internally and also externally. Uh, but that opens up a world of using like a set that like I had in my show to a backdrop for a concert, music concert. Do you know what I mean? So it's all this kind of cross pollination, as you call it, of like music, film, uh, art, fashion. You know, for me, I, I bring all these things together. You know, with, mm. with this new medium. Yeah. So. Uh, and you know, the, the I see that each look from that show is a piece of art in itself. That could be a collectible thing, you know. That could be within the NFT market. You know, who knows? Um, people collecting their virtual wardrobes, you know. Yeah. Um, and then you know, obviously we've got the physical collection 
that I'd like to bring off the back of it. The way that this particular collection was constructed is, you know, it's 50-50 men and women look. It's also quite commercial when you break it down to the pieces that I've included in, in, in the show. Even though it's all done in a very showy kind of way, built into this kind of world, you know, to sort of tell the story. But when you break the pieces down, they're quite wearable and commercial, you know, yeah. a lot of them. There are some, you know, show pieces that are a little bit more, you know, whole couture, as they call it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think I've made it quite a diverse collection, you know. That's good. So um, over your right-hand shoulder, I know it's, you know, uh, you're in your, yeah. Uh, no, the, fir- the, the first hand that you put up, um, not that one, the next one, the one with a pen in your hand, that one. So you've got, um, when I, so we, we got connected through Fraser, a mutual friend of ours, and um, you've got this, um, you know, skull-like art piece, um, which I think is fantastic. And um, am I right in saying it's, uh, I can't remember, like 30000 or something like that, retail price? From memory? Yeah, I mean, they're looking- yeah, these are they're four foot by five foot high, so they're really quite large, impressive pieces. Yeah. <clears throat> um, there's the story I'll tell you the story behind that one. So that's the Banachek skull. Um, I was I was took part in the McQueen documentary, so which was a film about my uncle. And his yeah. Um, and the directors uh, knew about a piece I just said the DNA, which was a Savage Beauty skull, which we'll probably get to in a minute as well. Um, but they weren't saying similar that kind of encapsulated my uncle's spirit in some way. And I usually have these kind of visions in a way, you know, it's almost like an out-focus picture that, you know, I know what it is, I know the feeling of what it is, but I've got to then translate that physically into something tangible. So the Benitez, um, that image, that image was actually that blurry image in my mind. So the way that they, that was built uh, was uh, I 3D sculpted that, so 3D technology, you know, yep. 3D digital sculpted, and then that was 3D printed as an actual sculpture about three foot high, and okay. then we built it with real flowers, and I worked with a photographer on that called Dan Tobin Smith, who took the final shot, and we did a time lapse with the real flowers dying uh, to create the lenticular animation, you know. And that, that is built out of 10 frames of animation, basically. Right. Uh, so uh, the idea is, you know, you've got this life and death within one image, and that, that's the whole um, ethos behind the Benny Test. Okay. Painting. Um, so the skull framework itself, the gold framework on the skull is made out of, like, birds, butterflies, and flowers, um, something that we reference my uncle. Um and then, you know, you've got the life of the flowers essentially dying within that as well. Yeah. Just life to death within one image. You know? um, if you don't mind me saying, I mean, it is, you know, a very McQueen type look. You know, you know, if, if that came out, if, if that came out in 2005, for example, you would say, yeah, that's an Alexander McQueen type, you know? Yeah, that's, that's like, there's a certain spirit that lives in me lifting my uncle, you know. Yeah. And not that I've taken, you know, it's not like I've taken that from him. We both just happen to have that same similar spirit and that dark romance, you know, or way of translating that um, 
that uh, like the imagination in a certain way, you know, and it just happens to be very similar. <laughs> yeah, it's really, yeah. really cool. Because that's a unique, that's a unique artwork. You know, that I'm <clears throat> Yeah, it's really, really cool. I like it a lot. Uh, when Fraser showed me, I was like, yeah, it's really sick. I could even see one of those in my house. So uh, maybe something we can talk <laughs> about later on. But um, look, um, I, so I interviewed a friend of mine um, uh, back in the last year, a guy called Lewis Burton. Um, you know, he used to be an ex-professional tennis player, um, model. Um, he's now a business person. But he, he's also known in, in the media for going out with Caroline Flack and as you well know, um, sadly, just over a year ago, she, she she committed suicide. And I was the first person he come on, on onto the podcast to speak about it. And, um, you know, quite moving, you know, quite a tearful moment. And I really admire people and respect people, especially when they come out publicly to talk about it, because it's a bit like cancelling in a way. When we're talking about it, you're getting it off the, your chest. Now, I know your uncle. Funny. Yeah, it's like, um, I know it's well over 10 years ago now, about 11 years ago, I think 2010. Um, so f- just in case the audience don't know, you're, you're the nephew of, your uncle was Lee Alexander McQueen, which was the founder of Alexander McQueen. And if anyone doesn't know, I mean, he sadly was fighting some demons and, um, you know, passed away, committed suicide in 2010. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, I mean, you know, Lee had uh, complex uh, personality anyway, you know, almost call it split personality yeah um but he, he dealt with lots of different issues you know from a young age yeah you know and my nan also passed away a week before he committed suicide yeah i know there were a few attempts leading up to that as well that we found out after and we didn't really know about it at the time with the family even though i worked with him you know and being his nephew there was also this kind of line that i couldn't you know, I might have seen him quite sort of out of it or whatever, you know, or something, but I couldn't, didn't quite feel like I could really reach out to him in that aspect. Yeah. It was kind of part of the parcel of him as a person as well. He, he loved to party and all that stuff, you know, and you just think they know what they're doing in a way, you know? Yeah. So I didn't want to sort of infringe on that. He would have brought me into the company if I was going to start doing that. You know, I was the only family member to be taken into that company. But that's only to give me as much skills. You know? Yeah. But yeah, you know, in hindsight, you wish, wish you'd sort of reached out then, you know? Yeah. But hindsight, isn't it? And you can live in regrets. And what I try to do these days is just, you know, pay tribute with everything I do, like the work that I produce. I try to continue that spirit within my work, you know, create my own unique stories in my own way, taking it forward in like visual movement, you know, yeah. which is something I think he'd really be into now, you know. He was really forward thinking himself in terms of technology, you know, using holograms within the show, um, robots and all sorts, you know, back then. But with the possibilities that he would have had these days, yeah. You know, he would definitely would have been looking along the same lines as where I'm going in terms of the advancements in like AR and VR. Yeah. And um so uh, I obviously knew uh, who or the brand Alexander McQueen many, many years ago. And um, and uh, it was only because of his death I ended up watching and looking into him a bit more and and watching the, the documentary, I think, on Netflix. And I didn't realise how much ahead of, of his time he was. And he was so bold with, um, 
you know, with 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 what he was trying to do. I mean, I, I remember in the in the documentary that the catwalk will come out and he would literally on the spot come up with an idea like wrap clean film around one of the yeah. around one of the catwalk uh, models and she went out there and it captured the audience, it captured the media, and it was a big wow and yeah. people, yeah. Yeah, it's just incredible. And so many people would have been afraid of taking their moves, but it seemed like he was fearless, you know. He just he would just do what the what the hell we he wanted to do, you know. Yeah, I think we we work in a similar way. I'm never gonna put myself on the same platform as my uncle. But, you know, you, you get given this kind of these like messages, do you know what I mean, subconsciously as an artist and it doesn't feel like you're in control of them sometimes. You know, it's like you're the trans uh, the receiver and there's like a transmitter that gives you these ideas and things like that and you know I can imagine that he would have seen something last minute and you know it just come together you know and work yeah by aesthetic, whatever it was you know and yeah and those kinds of moments can really sort of change history you know <laughs> yeah but seeing that for yourself, working alongside of him, you know, on on the positive note, like where he was so bold and so ambitious and fearless, I mean, that must have really inspired you because if you work with, you know, most people, even if they're in business for themselves, they're quite cautious, you know, and you have to be because business, as we said before, is, is very, very difficult and most businesses fail. But he seemed like to have, you know, like a fuck it, a fuck it attitude. Let's go for it, you know. And I, and I like that. I really, really admire people that had that attitude. I think he was just so. Um, he was like absorbed into his world. Do you know what I mean? He knew exactly what his brand was about, what he was about, the stories that he wanted to tell, and he just stayed true to that. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And that that um, that came through in his work and people connected with that as well. It was, it was the time he was living in as well, you know, it was like Cool Britannia. So, you know, early 90s, you had the Tracy Emmons and Damien Hurst coming up. Mm. And, it, you know, it's timing sometimes as well with yeah. these things. Yeah. You know, you come back, like I, like I was thinking to you earlier, you know, art and movements usually are a reflection of things that are happening in society. Definitely, you know? yeah. And, whatever Lee was doing at that time when he first came up was a reflection of, of all that, you know, that rawness. So, yeah. 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 It did It did definitely have that kind of way about him, you know, and people fed off that within the studio. You know, he was like nerve, central nervous system and it's more than him just like saying do this and do that. It's like you feel it around him. Yeah. Nora. Yeah. You know what I mean? And respond to that. There's like a certain feeling in the atmosphere and um, yeah, everybody picked up on it. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I fully, fully uh, resonate with that as well. I mean, when, when you get people on their game, you know, uh, who are go-getters and they've got this vision for the future and they've got uh, ideas in their head, they have, as you perfectly put it, an aura and people pick up on that aura and um, magical things can happen off the back end of it. So, um, look, I know you touched on that, you know, I just want to finish it on this note because it's something I'm intrigued about. And this is not about, you know, anybody else, but, you know, by you, this this podcast, but I'm just intrigued. So obviously we're in 2021 and in the last few years, I think mental health has been highlighted uh, a great deal. And I think, I think rightly so, but, but hindsight again, it's a little bit 
little bit too late some in some respect for certain people uh, going back to lee you know drink drugs and mental health in in some ways all those things were a blessing because i don't think without those things he could have been who who he was and i don't think he would have created the best brand look i work with artists and they're notorious for taking drink drugs and having the ups and downs and they produce some yeah. of their best works but on the flip side if it gets the better of them it can literally be fatal and and clearly lee, lee mcqueen was 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 an example of that so What's your take on the mental health side of things with um, with, with, with well, the art and fashion market? I mean, being creative is, you know, I've, I'm supporting Mind Charity as well with my show that I did, Death and Aid of Mind. And when you're a creative person, it's quite a lonely place to be. You know what I mean? That whole process of being withdrawn within that world, you know, where only you kind of exist in your mind and it's quite isolating. Um, so I can really relate to uh, where Lee would come from, from that aspect, you know, because, you know, you can have people around you that you love and you really want to reach out to, but I, I, I suffer from it myself and you're so withdrawn into that world that it becomes very isolating. Yeah. Know? And, you know, I can imagine, like, I don't think really, Lee really needed the drugs, to be honest with you. Uh, because, you know, if you've got an imagination, it's really great imagination and creativity that Lee had. I can't see how he really needed those drugs on top of it anyway to enhance that. For me, probably, you know, I don't take drugs. Obviously, I've dabbled in a few in the past, but I don't need them for my creativity necessarily. So I don't think Lee would have necessarily needed the drugs, you know. I think that might have been something else that you're trying to deal with and you use drugs and things like that as well. Mm. <clears throat> and I think that can also start to destroy things, the drugs eventually, you know. Um, and you're always trying to chase that, you know. I think you just need stronger things and it, it, it is like a rabbit hole. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to highlight mental health. There's obviously the COVID, which a lot of people, I think it's because I've, I've been in that isolation for so long myself, as I said, as an artist, yep. that I was quite used to it when COVID come around. You know what I mean? I was, I was quite used to, like, living the way that most people had to start to live when COVID happened. So all of a sudden, it felt like I was in a sort of stronger position where I could kind of guide people a bit, you know, and yeah. uh, felt stronger for once yeah. in, in that sense. And, you know, um, that's why I've so it was like really important sort of to pull mind cherry anyway when I did this and let people step away from, you know, the confinements of their, their walls and into this immersive world, you know. Yeah. For ten minutes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean look, supporting any charity, but especially I think it's um, you know, it's on point right now to be supporting anything to do with mental health, anxiety, suicides. I mean look in the last year, I mean, the media has done a great job, you know, highlighting all the deaths or supposed deaths anyway from COVID. But what about all these people losing their jobs, losing their homes and, um, you know, losing their careers and, and, and jumping off buildings because, you know, they feel like the world's against them. They're not really doing a great job there. And I think it's people like you, uh, Gary, that, you know, highlight these things and uh, puts that back into perspective and shows that, you know, there is other issues out there beyond COVID. Well, exactly. I mean, 
it is. I mean, the, the mental health side of things has really got to, you know, definitely outweigh, you know, what the media has said in terms of um, the death tolls and things like that. So, I mean, because I, I can't imagine there isn't one person on the planet that didn't affect mentally, you yeah. know, and a large portion of those really start to struggle in lots of different ways. Financial things can start to take a turmoil and that can develop into sort of depression, you know, isolation, um, uh, fear, you know, all these things, everybody would have um, definitely been affected meant like in a mental health kind of way from one of these things when I'm doing it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Gary, I would, again, just want to ask you one more sort of like sort of direct question, and it's you know, could be quite a hard one, or you can't, might have answered it a few times. Um, I asked a very similar. Uh, <laughs> what colour your pants? Yeah, um, I asked a very very similar question to Lewis um, when when uh, he was talking about Caroline. Um, do you remember the moment, and how do you, how was you feeling when you first heard about you know? Your uncle Lee passing away, committing suicide. What was what was that feeling like? Um, just disbelief, really. I mean, I I come into work because leading up to that that day, the week before, obviously my nan had passed away, and I was working on the gravestone with Lee personally for my nan, you know, which was this angel that that, that I created. So I was just showing Lee like initial sketches and things like that. And then the day before it happened, he said, oh, like, he finally signed it off. He was happy with the design. And he said, I'm going to leave this up to you to do sort of thing. And he didn't say why or anything like that. I just thought, oh, okay. So he said, he's left it up to like, source the, the, uh, the stonemason and all that stuff, the sculptor who was going to make it. Um, and then the next day when I come in, I found out what happened. It's just total disbelief and shock. You know, I was taken to the office by the, um, the uh, CEO. Lee was created directly as a CEO there as well. And he just sat me down and just said, Lee, you're dead. And you know, when you hear those words, you just don't register it. You know what I mean? You just don't do anything. <laughs> like, just yeah. total shock. And then I just had to go home, you know, and then I ended up taking quite a long leave from from work, you know, maybe a month or two, I think. Um, and it kind of spoke, like, from there, I think, you know, I started having my own, like, uh, issues as well, like mental health myself, and, you know, it developed into OCD and all, all kinds of things, you know. And uh, eventually it got too much, and I did leave the, the brand, and I did have my own things that I wanted to do, but I needed to take time off as well because I was so... There's a lot going on, you know. I'd like my 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 son was born around the same time as right. well, and you know, it's just all responsibility and all that stuff, and really sort of just add up alongside trauma, you know, and can really put it over the top. So I was going to ask, you know, you know, lo- losing um, not only family member, but let's 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 have it right, you know, someone that was inspiring you, someone that was a bit of a mentor, probably, and someone that was in some ways a business affiliate um what what is the like the kind of advice you know i've lost people in my life but i don't think as close as probably yourself obviously my nan but she was older and she was nearly approaching 100 so you kind of expect it but with someone like lee you're not so what's the kind of advice that you could share with people or what kind of 
like things did you do to get get yourself through that tough time? No easy way of saying it, really. It's just time. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, I've been through like the, the darkest times, and somehow you don't, you can't see the light. Do you know what I mean? And sometimes I've got to stay still, you know, but it's just, just you know, you just got to carry on. You just, the best thing to do is go to sleep and wake up the next day, and it is usually a better day. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I've, I've been near the markers, you know, committing suicide myself. So, I've, I've contemplated it quite a few times, you know, did various things, but um, I've just, you know, made it through to the next day, you know, and sometimes you have things that keep you motivated to be alive and carry on, you know, I've, got, I've had my kids, I've had, you've got to look at the little things in life, you know, that you have got and just sort of appreciate them, you know, and not dwell on some of these darker times and thoughts that come into your head. You know, it's really hard to, to tell somebody that when they're in that moment because I've been there so many times myself. But, you know, there is always a light around the, the corner, you know. You know, unexpectedly, I've got this epic grant which turns things around for me as well, you know. So these, these miracles do happen, small miracles, and they, they keep you going. Yeah. Um, like, again... Um... I, I would say I've not really been through, I mean, everyone feels depression, everyone feels fear, everyone feels anxiety, but on the flip side, everyone feels optimistic sometimes, happy, ch- cheerful. And I think the difference is some people either, you know, sometimes they can, you know, really live in one of the feelings for far too long and then there's always going to be a backlash to it. And I, my example, my metaphor is a bit like, you know, your emotions are a bit like the, the ocean, you know, sometimes it's going to be chaotic. It's going to be big waves. It's going to be crashes. It's going to be, you know, very, very uncertain. And then other times it's going to be completely smooth. And extreme. Yeah. Like washing away. Yeah. And nothing lasts forever. Not the good times and not the bad times. And if you're going through a bad time, just know it's going to pass. And I know it's quite easy for someone to say, but it really will pass. Whether that's a few hours, days, weeks, months, years, it eventually has to pass. And there is really this, this thing in the universe, John. I mean, I believe in like universal power and stuff like that. The law of attraction. Yeah. Yeah, all that stuff. And there is always a, a reason for bad things happening. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, they say like one door closes and another one opens. And that's of course. so true. You've got to believe in the system, you know. <clears throat> I've heard, you know, before we actually get here on Earth, you know, we're, we're given like, a list of things that's going to happen in our life and we sign it. Because, you know, it's part of our life lessons and it's all for the better. Yeah. And it is part of going through those hardships and learning, you know, that tells us. I think that's a great attitude and a great uh, way of looking at it. So on a bit more of a, like, you know, let's say your journey now. So um, I asked this next question is quite similar to a question I asked a, a boxer, professional boxer. I don't know if you're into your boxing. I interviewed... Um, two of the Eubanks, so not Chris Eubank, but his brother Seb, who's a boxer and an MMA fighter. But then someone else I know a, a little bit more 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 better than Seb is Harlem, who is the cousin. Harlem Eubank, because he fights down my boxing gym. And I said, with your surname, Eubank, I mean, even if you're not a fanatic of, you know, boxing fanatic, you could ask probably a granny and say, do you know who Chris Eubank is? And they're going to go, yeah, of course. You know, they're, they're more than a boxer. They're like a, a brand and an iconic name. Oh, 
Yeah. Now, McQueen, most people, if you said that, that, that word, especially in London here, I mean, if I said Alexander McQueen, tell me about that brand, they're going to say something about it. So the question is, having that surname, I, I see benefits to it, but do you feel this pressure? Like you have to live up to certain expectations or don't you really think about that? You just, you are Gary McQueen and that's who you are. Yeah, I think that's going back to like <clears throat> that, that that point you made about my uncle being, you know, like, fuck what everyone else said, so I'm going to do what I want. You know, it's more about me having my, my uh, strong vision of what I'm doing, yeah. you know, whatever I'm trying to create, and just working towards that. And then people pick up on that, I guess, as well. And, you know, like my work, I guess, you know, some people do, some people don't, you know. But um, majority of people feel that, you know, they, they pick up on that feeling what you're trying to project, you know, like you go back to the show that I just created, it's so amazing. <laughs> but you're giving the people that world to step into and all the kind of, that feeling you're trying to translate, they they just dig it, do you know what I mean? They get into it. And yeah. It is more of a feeling, you know, that they pick up on themselves. So, you know, when it comes to the name, yeah, you know, people recognise the name and, it does help in certain aspects. There, uh, uh, that's why I'm like I'm scared to call myself a fashion designer at this point. So, I mean, it's my first collection anyway. Uh, so there isn't that resemblance with my uncle as such. It's more about the art of storytelling that I've, that's most uh, got the most resemblance, if you like. You know? Yeah. My uncle. Yeah. The, the feeling of what I do. Yeah. Yeah. And my uncle could have done the same. He could have gone into anything. He could have gone into like interior design or filmmaking or anything, you know, and he would have projected that feeling that you got from his shows or his clothes into any other kind of a aesthetic, you know. Yeah. So, uh, Gary, like, um, when I first started my podcast, I really wanted to, I, I was trying to fill a void. And, and what that void was is when I was younger, I was, uh, I'm going to say it really bluntly, shit at school, like terrible. Um, I went. I never bunked off of school. I never took time off and faked I was ill and stuff. But from the moment I was there to the moment I, I left, didn't resonate with it. I, I, I felt like it was a big waste of time in some respects. I know it's not, but that's how I felt at the time. And bigger idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just, I just wasn't compatible with school. I mean, doing my algebra and doing geography and doing RE, I was like, what am I doing? Like, how am I going to take this... How am I going to take this into like the real world? But anyway, you know, you're kind of forced to do it and it is what it is. And um, back then I didn't have, there was no social media. There was definitely no podcast. And now looking back, had there been a podcast listening to great conversations like this, it might have sparked an idea and gave me some inspiration. So when I interview people like yourself, go-getters, entrepreneurs, creative people, I like to try and pull out some gems. So if a young girl or young boy is listening to this, they go, oh, that really resonates with me. Yeah. So what advice would you give from, number one, a creativity artistic point of view, like how to stimulate that or, you know, what, what are the kind of things to do? And as an entrepreneur, business person, you know, some of the fundamentals there. So you've got two things. You've got one hat, which is creativity, and one is the business. I find it hard to balance the two, to be honest with you. I'm not the best business person either, really. <laughs> what I've got is great creative vision of how something can relate in a certain market and things like that. It's just the finer details of business I'm not very good at. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Um, 
but you know, people ask me this question a lot, and I never feel like I'm the right sort of role model, really. I, all I can do is sort of speak from my own point of view, and you know, I'd love to inspire younger generations, but I think it's about looking at, you know, how you can apply yourself to things that you didn't really expect that they would, those skills would apply to in life, you know. Yeah. Like myself, being from graphic design and then falling into fashion, you know, it's opened up different possibilities. So, you know, I, I think they should just really stay true to, you know, this is going to become a cliche now. <laughs> stay true to your beliefs, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Stuff that inspires you and try to adapt in different ways. But you'd have to be put in a box, do you know what I mean, as well. You can you can do anything you want, you know, and I've kind of proven that I'm not I'm really an outsider within the fashion world, but I don't look at fashion to you know, I don't look at what other people in fashion are doing. I just use fashion in my own way. Yeah. I use it for my own my own art storytelling. It, for me it becomes like a, a medium, you know. I dress you know, like this photo shoot on this side here. Yeah. So I created the garment. Only to create the story, the photo shoot, really. I yeah. Don't sell them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not yet. Yeah. But for me, it's about creating costumes, but embodying the spirit of that, that photo shoot, you know, creating characters. Yeah. So uh, you've just got to learn to adapt what you love doing and don't let other people dictate how you use it. You know what I mean? As you go through life, you can find your own way and lead the way eventually. Yeah, that's good advice, mate. Really good advice. So, um, so I, I don't know how old you are, Gary, but um, obviously, I was going to say that. I was going to say that. Yeah, I love you. <laughs> um, no, all right. No, listen. In the as far as uh, being a business person, you know, and if I would say anything below like forty and below is is still re- you know relatively a, a pup in the in the business game. So you've got a long, long way, you know, long time ahead of you and there's so much to achieve. So tell me about your vision over the next 5, 10, 15 years. I know you said you're into law of attraction, you're into positive energies, you're into, you know, a higher belief system almost. Um, what, what, what are your plans? For me, it's about inclusivity, like I just touched on, you know, not being an outsider within the fashion world myself. You know, it's really... Um, I have really been on this journey alone. You know what I mean? When I've, I've been building my brand for five years. Uh, so I guess it's, you know, I want to create more of a movement where you can invite people who don't really realize that they could come into that world and use things in that way and create like a creative hub eventually. Yeah. You know, maybe some sort of academy where creatives can, you can nurture that raw talent. Do you know what I mean? and give people like a, a path the same way that I was given. I mean, that's the North Star for me at this point. Everything along that way is obviously business ventures that split off from everything that I do. But for me, you know, creating some kind of community-driven hub, I guess, would be like the main goal, you know. So, so that becomes more of, more of a movement or a, my brand becomes like a, a symbol in some kind of way of hope. You know what I mean, and community and collaboration. That's, Beautiful, that's good stuff. And um, are you are, are you um? I know it's going to be a bit, a bit of a rhetorical question, uh, but 
you're a big believer on setting goals and benchmarks and certain visions and standards for yourself over the next coming years. I mean, have you got like five years, this is where I want to be and 10 years, I want to sell the company or in 10 years, I want to get an investor, anything like that? I'm not, I'm not that structured at the moment, but I'm working <laughs> on it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, everything's feeling based. Yeah, that's, that's my problem. It's because everything's feeling based. You feel where you want to go in a way. But it is getting that kind of more of a structured, well, especially when it comes to business, obviously, it's having that more of a structured um, course, you know, for mm. these type of projections and things like that. But I am in talks with some people at the moment, you know, to do that. So, cool. Gary, uh, it's really been a good a good talk. Um, where can people find you, mate, if they want to follow you? Uh, if they want to watch the show and see some of my work and some of my you know, um, products, they can go to jamesandqueen.com and that's where they'll find most of my stuff or on Instagram. I almost use that like a portfolio, which is um, Gary Jones and Queen official yeah. on Instagram. They're probably the most, yeah, best places. Perfect. All right. Good stuff. And if people want to, you know, end up buying uh, some of your artwork or some of your garments, that's, that's definitely a place they can hit you up on. Yeah. Yeah. Through, through my website, they can uh, send me an email through there as well. Cool. Gary, um, Many years ago, when I first got into business for myself, um, I'm a basically I'm a salesperson, and I I done you know public speaking and leading sales teams, and um, in some ways it's a bit like leading an army, you know, into battle. Um, you know, uh, you know, you have to rev people up, and you have to make sure that if they're having down days, you have to you know lift their spirit up. And I come up with a saying, which is a bit of a catchphrase, which goes like this: "Be happy, never content." Now, I've got my own take on it. I always ask my guests, what does be happy, never content mean to Gary McQueen? It means you can always do better, can't you? On the next project, for me, usually, you know, it's about pushing things forward and uh, evolving. That's the end of it. <laughs> That's it, mate. All right, perfect. Well, look, thank you for your time. Um, I'm I'm going to keep following your journey, mate. Um, like I say, eventually there might be... Uh, uh, I really like them skulls, so let's talk about that in the future. Uh, obviously, there should be some projects that we could work on together as well, no doubt. Um, I really, really appreciate all the stories, all the feedback, and everything that you shared with us today. I think it's been very compelling, and it's been a great insight. And this podcast is going to come out on YouTube as well as um, on, on the podcast uh, Apple Store um, in the next few weeks. So anyone listening to this, please share it, please comment, and uh Give us a review and um, always remember to be happy, never content. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Gary, okay. and I'll, I'll stay in communication with you, mate. Cheers. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks. Top man. Cheers. Bye.